Hello, everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, depending where you are. We have a fantastic guest today. Uh, I, I am really excited to have this conversation. Um, not only is he a fantastic lawyer with a rich career and uh, a rich history of mentoring folks, uh, he also has a passion for writing. I guess most, many, all lawyers have passion for writers. We have perfected the skills of reading, writing, and our game, he has written a couple of books. He and I have that in common. I cannot wait to have this conversation with him and learn from him and share his wisdom. Norman, please introduce yourself. Oh, thank you very much, Olga. Uh, I am right now a retired lawyer uh, in my second career. I, rather than retirement, I call it rewirement. Uh, in my first career, I practiced tax law. Uh, I specialized in film finance. I spent 25 years uh, becoming one of Canada's leading authorities in film and television finance. I worked with Canadian studios, American studios. Uh, I even sat on the board of Lionsgate for almost 10 years when they went from being uh, a less significant company to the mini major studio that they are today. Uh, so I've had some very interesting experiences. I spent 25 years building a law firm called Heenan Blakey that was uh, in its day, one of the leading law firms in the country with some international expertise as well. And uh, a year after I left uh, leadership, the firm quite tragically collapsed. It was about 14 months later. And that uh, little did I know, which was my life catastrophe that I had to get over because it was everything I built for 25 years collapsing underneath me turned out to be the beginning of my writing career. So I, I turned the the collapse of the firm into a career memoir. Uh, and that began my writing career, which now includes two books of nonfiction. And uh, my, my passion is for assisting and mentoring young professionals, not just lawyers. And I've also written now two novels, uh, which are, uh, I call my Shakespeare modern mysteries, one a modern Othello, the other uh, a modern Hamlet that just came out, and uh, and that's me building a law firm, you know, serving on some boards, building, you know, writing up four books or so. Just, that's all. That's that's, <laughs> that's great, uh, Norman. That that that's a that's a fantastic career, and uh, thank you for sharing uh, that in sort of an, in a nutshell. Um, you know, you use the term rewirement. I I, have re I never heard this term. Um, I don't know if it's your term or or it's a widely used term that I've never heard of because I you know I'm so busy building a startup. Uh, tell me more about how you think about it. Actually, I don't think I had a guest that I, I've talked to about sort of what happens after you practice law. Um, and uh, the term you use, rewirement, is very interesting to me. So tell me what you mean by that and what it means to you. It's a term that I borrowed. I don't even remember who I borrowed it from, but it was an interesting article I read. And I said, yeah, that's me. And largely it's because, you know, a, a lot of uh, professionals in particular, but professionals on, and entrepreneurs get to the point where in in their mid sixties, where it's time to do something else, uh, you know, either their best, uh, their, their best beyond date has expired, uh, or they're thinking about retirement. And, and, and many of us are just simply afraid of what's coming next. And so, uh, rather than uh, retire to the golf course where you'll, you're going to get bored pretty quickly, you, you have to figure out what other, what other skills do I have? What other talents do I have? Uh, that have been latent for all these years that are just sitting inside waiting to be woken up. And rewirement re literally means the rewiring of your brain to develop those skills. And for some of us, it's second careers. For others, it's developing hobbies. But it's a way, it's not just about filling your time. 
but it's doing it in a rewarding way that gives you great satisfaction. Oh, I, I love it. We're going to talk more about that. I, I, I'm, I'm not at the point of thinking about my retirement, but maybe I should. Um, <laughs> let's, uh, you, you, uh, you mentioned about this sort of fear. Tell me more about this fear, because I think that that may be a relatable thing. Well, I'll, I'll put it in very concrete terms in terms of how it applied to my own life. But I, I can tell you, when I started practicing law, I knew I wanted to be a tax lawyer, and that's about it. But if you told me that, that I would ever one day be financing major motion pictures, I would have laughed. You would have told me I would have been involved with any film studio, much less uh, the likes of MGM, Warner Brothers, uh, Lionsgate. Uh, I would have said impossible. If you would have told me that I would one day be running a law firm, I would have said, I don't have those skills. And certainly the one thing I would have told you at age, even at age 45, is that I will never write a book. And why is it? A, because I didn't think I had the skill set. But B, because deep inside, there is a little voice telling me, uh, you know what you're good at, and you're not good at this. And that's the, that's the little voice of fear that's always whispering where you can barely hear it, where it's basically telling you, 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 you need to be worried that either A, you're not going to be any good at it, or B, way more important, uh, you're going to be embarrassed when the whole rest of the world figures that out. <laughs> We're going to come back to the little voice. Um, we, I think we all have a, a version of that voice or numerous voices. Uh, sometimes they're persistent. Let's talk about, you know, you mentioned skills and rewiring and kind of being on an intentional journey to build a satisfying kind of rewarding next stage life. What are the steps you took? Um, what did it kind of in your case, what, what did it all mean? Well, I had no, put it this way, when, when the law firm collapsed, I thought my life was over and I was a very angry person. You are dramatic. I, can, I mean, you and I have that in common. <laughs> okay. Well, I was, I was very accustomed to speaking. I, I, I had to, uh, you know, I, I made an awful lot of speeches over the course of my career. And when you are the leader, uh, which I was, I was a managing partner of the law firm, uh, you, need to, you need to learn how to be inspiring or you're going to find out very quickly that nobody's following you. Uh, but 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 putting that aside, uh, you you need to at a point in time, you need to take a look. And, and I was forced to take a look as to what came, comes next, because I had no law firm uh, behind me anymore. And it was a question of, OK, so what do I do? So I decided to start writing, which was I knew how to write. Uh, I didn't know how to write a book. Uh, and I didn't set out to write a book. I just set out more for, from a catharsis perspective of let's let's start this and see where it goes. But what I discovered uh, is literally what I am teaching and mentoring to, to young professionals right now. And that is that uh, we all start out from the same place, which is with a zero skill set. We, you know, when, when you leave professional school, you don't know anything. And of course, when you enter professional school, you have no idea that when you leave, you're still not going to know anything. But you find out pretty quickly when you enter the real world or the business world, how much there is to learn, how little you know, and how frightening all that is. Except for one thing, when you're at the very beginning, everyone knows you don't know anything, so it's okay to learn. But as you accumulate knowledge and start to become good at some things, you start to realize okay, but I don't know how to do this, that, and the other thing. And I'm kind of, and you, and the more senior you become, the more afraid you become to admit that you don't know how to do those things. 
And that's so what you, you know, the, the risk is you're going to prefer to do the things you're good at and keep doing them. Unfortunately, those things be, start to become boring for you as opposed to continually pushing yourself to do new things. Now, it was very easy, you know, it would be very me easy for me to go out and say, listen, I started there. And then I, you know, then I did, I financed films. I ran a law firm. I learned how to do all that. I learned how to write books. Uh, it, it's very nice in a theoretical world. And a lot of people I, I figured would say, okay, yeah, but you know, that was 25, 30, 35 years ago, the whole world has changed. And what I like to tell people now is that when I, when I sent to my editor of my first book, the, the, a draft of my novel that I thought was pretty good. And her response to me was in very polite terms. This is very amateurish norm. Uh, it was like the knife being thrust into my chest. I don't know this, why you would take that so personally. <laughs> uh, it was not personally. It's not personally. It was basically, she was telling me I was terrible. Like I've spent three years trying to learn how to write this novel. I don't know how to do it. So, and, and I had a choice, and this is the choice that I talk to young professionals about. You have a choice every time you reach that moment where you know you're not good enough. You can either give up and walk away, and that was one alternative, and, and I could have said, okay, I'm never going to write this novel. I'm going I'm to put it in the corner and pretend one day I'll get back to it. Or, I, or you tell yourself, no, you know what? I obviously need to learn 10 more skills to be able to do this better, and I'm going to devote the next two or three years learning them. And you know what? Me at age 60 started to relearn and rewire myself. And, and if I could do it at 60 to the point where I could publish two you know, best-selling novels by the time I'm 65, I said you at age 28 or 32 or 35 or 42, you can do it too. And the only thing standing in your way is you. Oh, I love that. Um, and I guess lesson to self, life does not end when you affirm collapses, you know, even if it feels this way. And as much as rejection feels as a knife through the heart, um, that is all in your head. Um, uh, good lessons. I, I love it. You talked a little bit about how you couldn't really imagine yourself being a writer. I mean, we're all kind of writers to some extent, right? We all learn to write. Well, everybody, th everybody walks around saying, I think I know I have a book in me. Right. And how then, many people actually write it? <laughs> that's right. And then most of us who actually go to law school, Usually we have perfected the, 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 those you know, skills of writing. So like to some extent, all of us are writers and yet you get the rejection and, and, and we have fears and we walk around thinking we have a book in us, yet very few of us actually have a courage to write the first draft and then a courage to write the second draft um, and then the courage to write the second book and the third book and the fourth book. Um, so that's a lot of courage right there. I, I, I went through a similar process. I've written four books as well. Uh, all of them are fiction, though. Well, you know. <laughs> uh, so I know. I definitely know. Um, tell me kind of how did you go from I never thought I would write a book to, hey, I have a first draft in me to, hey, I actually have four books plus in me. Uh, the simple answer is one line at a time. <laughs> and I mean, it's, it's really not more complicated than that. It's, but it's like any other habit. It's, it's really like any other habit or any other skill you're, you're trying to develop. You need to set aside the time every day to do it. So at the beginning, it was I'd get home from work because I didn't, 
I didn't uh, simply quit. I had to find a job for a few years before before I finally retired. So I get home at work from work, and and then at at eight thirty or nine o'clock, I'd sit down at the kitchen table and I'd start to write. And my rule was, and this was from the from the memoirs, uh, I'm not allowed to go to bed until I have six handwritten pages done. A lot of those days, and you know it, being a writer, a lot of those days you're just staring at at the page and you have no idea what to write. My process has has developed into, okay, just write anything and start writing. And I often find that on those days where it feels impossible, uh, the first 20 minutes what I write is garbage. And then suddenly I'm in this zone where my brain has taken over and I'm going, and I don't even, I, I don't feel the passage of time. I don't feel anything. I just know that I can't stop. Suddenly I can't stop writing. Yeah, it, it's interesting because it's translated to my fiction as well, where I'll look, study the blank page. I said, OK, I'm going to just stick two characters in a cafe and I don't know what's going to happen. Like I have no clue. And I'll start writing. And, and I know that when I sit down with it tomorrow morning, I'm going to hate it. But about half an hour in, uh, one character will reveal something to the other. And I'll look down at the page and and all I'll say was I had an, absolutely no idea. Wow, it's like they've taken over the scene. It's not even me anymore. Oh, I love that. Um, yeah, I, 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 I find that I, you know, for me, writing is a lot about sort of processing the thoughts I that I experienced today. I, I found that I've been able to cope with threat, with uh, with stress and adventures of law through sharing my thoughts with others and seeing their reaction and realizing that I'm not the only person sharing kind of what worked for me and then learning from others what works for them. So uh, I, I found the, pr the process of writing very therapeutic and then the process of getting feedback very encouraging. And so uh, that's the reason for writing so much, both in articles and books. Uh, it's just really a great way to start a dialogue to, to find people who are going through similar things and, and may have more information or insights or perspectives that are just sort of helpful. So for me, it has been sort of for very, very selfish reasons. What I thought was very interesting as I was kind of looking through your work and something that I can relate to, and this is usually surprises people. I consider myself an introvert. I can definitely, you know, um, speak in public and, 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 you know, I, I like meeting people, but really I, I, um, unwind by myself. I, I like everyone's company, but I truly enjoy mine. And so, um, you, you know, I, you've commented on that before, um, being an introvert and maybe even to some extent considering yourself, um, I guess, a boring person. I'm not sure how you got there, but let's just leave it at that. What happened? Um, you know, <laughs> what happened? I mean, you know, this is a question that I usually get as well. So I'm just sort of curious how you answer it. Yeah, well, I, I, I think I, I'd say the same thing about you. If, you, if the admission that you're an introvert, uh, I will probably never believe. But as you know, uh, you have to learn how to cope. And it's about learning tricks. And in, in terms of my public speaking, yes, I've learned a lot of tricks. And I write about it in my first book, Breakdown. Uh, it was just when I was flipping channels one Sunday, uh, I stopped and, and uh, watched one of the preachers speaking. And I was captivated in part because I was captivated at the way the audience was captivated. And I started paying it and I literally started studying uh, their speech patterns, how they spoke, 
uh, one of the one of the great experts of all time was Barack Obama. If, if you listen to his speeches, or somebody like Joel Osteen, uh, who podcasts a lot, if you l- just listen to them and listen to the cadence and how they change, how they mix up their pacing, uh, they go faster, they go slower. When they make a really critical point, they stop like that, so it can sink in. And then understanding that your speech is really a dialogue uh, with with your with your crowd, where you're giving the audience an actual chance to sit down, digest, adjust, and when you make a key point, uh, you let it sink in. And the other the other critical point that I learned quite early on that I try and pass along is that uh, speaking is about telling stories. And when you can tell a story that connects emotionally with your audience, that taps into their experience, you're, you're going to be sending a message that's going to be rem- remembered. And I don't, I don't remember who said it. I think it was Maya Angelou. Uh, who said, nobody is going to remember what you said, but they are going to remember how they felt when you said it. And when you can start understanding those those tricks or call them skills, you're speaking and you practice, your speaking will improve. And, and I've written about this in uh, both in Take Charge and in my, my mini, my free mini book, uh, Tips from the Interviewer. I a- actually talk about how you apply those skills to a job interview. I, by the way, highly recommend your books. Um, and uh, Norman, where, where, where can they be found? Uh, you can find uh, everything that I've written either at my website, which is normanbacall.com. And the greatest challenge of, uh, of Norman Bacall is just spelling my name right. Uh, so it's just one L. Uh, or uh, you can find them on Amazon. Uh, Amazon are pretty much uh, virtually, uh, the books are everywhere. I've even got an audio version of both Take Charge and my most recent book, Ophelia. And uh, so it's out there. You can, you can find me uh, Apple Books. Uh, you, you name it, I think I'm somewhere or other, <laughs> even in you, you, you are somewhere or other. You're also very active on LinkedIn, and I encourage folks to follow Norman uh, and, and read his books. They're full of great insights. I certainly find them helpful, and, uh, and uh, following Norman on LinkedIn, I find very fascinating and, and learn from, the, uh, from, from him and from the stories he tells and from the engagement of others. Uh, with, with, with his content. So definitely a recommendation there. Um, all right, let's switch gears from introversion, which I, I love it how we both don't believe that each of us, we, we firmly believe that each of us is an introvert, yet we firmly don't believe that the other is. Um, let, let's reflect on that point for a minute. And let's shift gears to sort of leadership, right? Um, you know, I, I tend to believe that no matter what you call a lawyer, he or she has to be a leader uh, because um, you know you help people to sort of get you know to solve the ch- most challenging problems or make sure they have a bright future. That requires leadership skills. Uh, but you know, uh, if we're talking about leading a department, leading a law firm, um, you know, uh, do you think that you know? And, and there's a lot of literature and conversations where people say that not all lawyers have leadership skills that that is not taught in law school, uh, that, uh, you know, giving legal advice and being a leader may or may not be overlapping. If you look at a Venn diagram, what are your thoughts about sort of, is it a born with skill? I mean, what it is, are you born with it? Can you develop it? Can you get better at it? 
And if you are, how, what are the intentional steps you take to get there? Like any other skill, some of us are born with more natural talent than others. Absolutely. But the one thing I've discovered and, and certainly and that I've studied and, and, and learned about is that the, the greatest successes aren't necessarily the people with the most talent. Like the greatest successes are the, are the people with the most grit or, or the most determination to learn the skills. And, and all these skills are learnable. And I think leadership comes down to just a few things. One uh, is listening and understanding that the most important person in the room is not you. It's the person you're listening to. And if they come away from any conversation, whether it's a group discussion or a one-on-one, -on -one, feeling that you've listened to them, in some respects, I like to say you, 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 you kind of own them uh, because you've made them, beca because I've listened to you, I've made you feel important in my eyes. And then when I need you to do something, you're far more inclined to listen to me. So that's one. Two uh, is empowerment. Right. If you want people to follow you, you need to empower them. So it isn't that in the end, it isn't about how smart you are. It isn't about how well you can do something. It's about how much power you can hand off to the people who are your charges and allow them to do some. Some people call it delegation, but delegation in a way that allows them to do the task you've asked them to take care of in their way, as opposed to the way you want them to do it. So that's, that's part two. And I think, and I think if you can empower people and if you can actually listen to their concerns and react to them, as opposed to, uh, in, in, in many conversations and in most arguments, we spend our time, we spend our time formulating what our next response is going to be, as opposed to listening to you. And, and, and what you'll find is if you find me to be a great listener, if you find me to be empathetic, if you find me to respond to your concerns, what will happen is when I need you to do something, you're going to do it. You definitely love with your ears. Uh, <laughs> you learn that in every relationship from marriage to professional relationship. That's how you show uh, respect. Very, very important words to live by. Um, let's talk about success. Um, that There's sort of a lot of discussion about what it means to have a successful, rewarding career. Uh, we just had a conversation about what it means to have an important second and third career. What does success mean to you? I'll tell you a story. Sounds good. I love stories. Right. <laughs> so I was this very successful film finance lawyer. I'd done literally billions of dollars of a particular kind of transaction. Now, understand, I never drafted a contract. I, and I, you know, 35 years as a lawyer, I'm still a terrible drafts person. I had people to do that. But I had a client call me. Uh, who was in the film business in Los Angeles. And he said, listen, a major Canadian broadcaster wants to invest $50 million in my company. Can you handle it? And my first reaction was in my head, as he's, as he's telling me the story was, I've never done anything like that. Of course, I, I don't know how to do that. And the words that came out of my mouth when he was fin finished explaining it to me was, of course, I can handle it. I, at that point in time, I knew how to do deals. I'd never done that deal. I had no expertise in that, but I figured, you know what? I can find the expertise to back me up in terms of how to draft the contracts and figuring out all the legal issues. But in the end, this is just going to be a negotiation and the rest I'm going to figure it out as I go along. And, 
And uh, by the time we finish this deal, you know, I, I can add it to my expertise. And sure enough, we got the deal done. I learned all kinds of things about myself that I didn't know, including, including how to negotiate uh, with the head of a major Canadian broadcaster, uh, which I'd never done before. And my client had no idea that I'd never done this before. Was I being an imposter? Yeah, maybe. But was I taking on something that when I started, I wasn't certain I was going to succeed? Yes, of course. Uh, did I kind of force myself to have the confidence to say, listen, when I hit the, the unexpected turns in the road, when I hit the curbs, when I encounter something I've never encountered before, uh, do I think I'll be able to figure out? And am I not afraid to make a mistake along the way? Because that, and that's the fear. The, the reason why you'd say, no, I can't do this. I'm going to send you to another law firm, let them do it. They specialize in this. And instead, I said, you know what? I said to myself, I can figure it out. I will learn from my mistakes along the way. We will get to the end. I'm smart enough that I can figure this out. And by the end of that deal, guess what? I was an expert in doing, in doing that kind of deal. So uh, you asked the question, what is success? Success is about taking on something where the, that little voice is telling you, I don't know, Norm, maybe, maybe you're going to fail this time. Maybe you're going to blow it. Maybe your client's going to think you're an idiot and saying, no, I have confidence on, in myself that I can get through this. And by getting through this, I will learn a whole new set of skills that will propel me forward to the next success, which is something else that I don't know if I can do today. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I find it helpful to remember the California bar definition of competence, and that is you either know it or you're able to learn. Um, and and that, that second part specifically, able to learn, I think is um, if, you, if you are a member of the bar, you should constantly keep coming back to it. Um, I have it printed out on my um, on my table. Um, I'm not a tattoo person, but if I were, that would have been a tattoo. Um, I find I find it very important to remind myself that confidence is something you can learn. Um, it could also be something you've done before, but and already know. But it is also something you could learn. A few more questions. I do want to talk about building a law firm, making it a, a, a you know reasonable size having an international presence, and then seeing it kind of all kind of fall and go to hell, so to speak. That is terrifying. You know, it's, it's you know, it's kind of your baby. Um, it is your baby. Um, and, you know, you had a dramatic reaction of a knife through your heart. And I'm sure that's exactly how you felt. How do you deal with that loss? The simple answer is nobody died. <laughs> like, I, I can't imagine the pain of a parent who loses a child. I, I can't imagine the pain of a spouse who, and this just happened to a friend of mine, uh, who lost his wife to cancer recently. You know, that, that kind of pain to me is unimaginable. This was, yes, it was the loss of my baby. It was a loss of uh, 25 years. And But what I came to learn, and, and this is the key, and this is the key out of every loss that we suffer, what do we learn about ourselves from it? Are we going to give up or are we going to push ourselves on uh, to, the, to the point where five years later, you're able to look back and you, yes, you, you, never, you never stop feeling the loss, but you, you, know, you, you can ask yourself, okay, what have I learned about myself in the process? What I learned about myself was I was extraordinarily proud of the sign that said Heenan Blakey, which was sitting 
uh, on the pillar at the Bay Adelaide Center, which is, by the way, the, the building where they shot suits, a uh, little bit of trivia, in, in Toronto. And this was this brand new tower that, you know, we, we where we had five floors. And it's, I used it's, to think... It's a beautiful place, by the way. I, I know Toronto yeah. pretty well. And, and right across the street from what used to be the Trump Tower. But... Um, but I used to think that that was my definition of success. And what I had to learn was that the real definition of success isn't bricks and mortar. It's about, it's much more important to me. Uh, and even in those years of leadership, uh, how I touch people's lives, even in ways that I, that I can't even imagine today. And I tell myself my, my real legacy, and this is what I learned from writing the memoirs, my real legacy is not the firm that I helped to build. My real legacy are the lives of the people that I positively impacted, the people who love to come to work every day, who remember the unique experience over 25 years as being one, you know, the best work experience of their lives. And the, 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 the feelings and relationships that we have years later the, the emotional glue that we can't even define for other people, but that, but that we still feel that never goes away. I love the way you think. Um, and I like how you sort of cross examined yourself to really get to the bottom of that legacy. I love the philosophy of you have a choice with every success and rejection and that they're entirely self-defined. Um, and I, uh, and I agree there is something to be said, uh, about, uh, going against the current or going uh, with the current. Um, and that also should be a conscious choice every time. Uh, we are definitely at the end. And I would be amiss if I didn't ask you a question about pivots. You certainly, you know, maybe the most important thing that you and I have in common is numerous pivots that we have done in our life. Uh, in our career um, and kind of to redefine and, and change who we are and where we're going and, and what we're building. Um, do you have any top tips um, how to do the thing you've never done before and do it well? Yeah. And I'm going to give it to you right now. <laughs> you see that? <laughs> yep. All right. That uh, is my next pivot. Mm -hmm. All right. I, I learned social media five years ago. I got very good at LinkedIn, uh, but I'm so frightened uh, of, of other social media that requires you to post videos. All right. And in, in, in particular, Instagram and TikTok. And I have resolved that over the next six months, I am going to start posting on Instagram and, and TikTok. So how do you do it? Well, first you start finding, you know, you start finding people online, it's easy enough to find them who are experts and take their advice as how to do it. And then at a point in time, you just have to say, okay, I'm just going to start doing it. And I'm going to make a lot of mistakes along the way. And I will definitely make a lot of mistakes along the way. But, uh, but, but 12 months from now, I'm going to feel comfortable on TikTok and I am going to feel comfortable on Instagram. And I use those as examples because, you know, I am 65. I'm, you know, I'm not 28. I'm 65. I'm old in, 
You're not yeah, old. In some terms. You have a life I'm saying I'm, I'm old. 120. You are but an adolescent. But yeah, I, I'm, well, exactly. But that's the point. And it's, but it's, it's never too learn, never too late to learn a new skill. And once you start learning it, you, you, we always discover, Hey, you know what? I'm not so bad. Uh, and I'm getting better and I'm getting better and I'm getting better. But I, and I know I, you know, it, but it's your choice. Ultimately your ongoing skill set development is always a set of choices. You yeah. can decide to do it. You can decide to give up. You can decide not to try. It's all, you know, it's all in your hands. It's not in my hands. It's not in Olga's hands. It's not in anybody else or your friends who say, are you really sure you're going to, you, you think you're going to succeed at this? And the answer is, I don't know. But if I don't try for sure, there's no chance. <laughs> I've actually gotten personally through the journey and from the beginning of pandemic where I've never been on video or podcast. Uh, folks have asked me to do podcasts for a long time and I very successfully resisted this and went against the current uh, for about seven years. And then uh, when I stopped commuting, I, I decided to, to experiment with both and uh, found that I really enjoy it. And uh, I, I guess could figure out some of it out and learn some skills in the process. Um, and my first video uh, took me forever to make, and I was so critical. I basically picked myself apart from my voice to my appearance to you know, all kinds of things. Oh, you know, there's a lot of things that are wrong with Olga, apparently, in my mind. Um, and <laughs> That's, then the I, <laughs> That's the point. That's the point. Now you're a sensei. <laughs> oh, well, you know, I actually, one of the things I learned in the process is to kind of accept who I am. Um, and Olga has flaws, and that's just kind of who, what makes Olga. And I decided that I, I only record video once, um, and I'm not spending hours recording. And, and if the first Olga is not, a, you know, if this is what Olga is today. It doesn't mean that this is what Olga is generically. Um, and so I found that my skills, one, got better. But the two uh, is that as you hear your voice more often, um, you kind of – it kind of you, you start liking it more uh, because it becomes much more familiar. I think one of the reasons when we look at our videos or hear our voice on the phone and we're like, oh, and it would cringe is because we don't, we're not familiar. We sound very differently in our head. And then when we hear with our ears for the very first time. Not the time, same person. I, I don't it's know. That not, yeah, it's, it's like get to know that person who like appears in the video and sounds on audio. And, you know, you will fall in love with him or her. Uh, he or she will become near and dear to your heart just the same way he or she is near in your head. Um, so that, that it, it will just, it will be just normalized. And it, it's just now video and audio, just like normal part of my deal today. It's like I'm talking to Norman uh, and then I'll do a video and then I'll answer some emails and then I'll write some stuff and then off we go. Uh, Norman, fantastic conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much for this conversation. I thoroughly enjoyed talking to you. Thanks. It was my honor, Olga. <laughs> thank you and so thank much. Thank you all out there for listening. Yeah. Thank you, everyone, for joining. Thank you for participating. Bye, everyone.